Welcome to the Lanky Guys. Oh, come on. Oh, now you're sad. Hey, everybody, this is like our third opening. Father Peter's sad because I keep making him change. <laughs> I just keep... We're all better off for it. Though. We really are. You know, Cindy uh, Schenectady. Skalicky. Skalicky. Yeah, she's going to appreciate our all of our editing efforts. Um, Scott, yes. Scott insisted. Yes, I did. Um, and you guys, you're listening to the Lanky Guys. Yes, the word on the hill. In I'm, fact, I'm Father Peter Musser, and I am Scott Powell. And uh, right now, there's been rumors of war, wars, and rumors of wars. Um, actually, just rumors of of snow. Actually, like, yeah, it's, I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't either. I'm really upset. But um, I just got back from Kansas City. Kansas City, you just won the world. Were you in the World Series? No, but um, I was there for a couple of the days of it, and like I'll tell you, man, those, those did you play a role in it in any way? Uh, uh, I actually was rooting for the Mets. Ooh, ooh, in sorry Kansas, to all of you on yeah. the East Coast. I know, and especially sorry to uh, Father John Riley and Archbishop Neumann. Father John Riley, yeah, he's not the- my friend, Father John Riley. Because I have a good friend, Father John Riley, over at the Augustine Institute. Uh, this is a different, different Father, Father John, John Riley. This is a f- different Father John Riley. Let's shout them both out. What's up, Father John Riley's squares? Like, <laughs> oh no, you guys are not squares. No. But but I, I was um I went to a, a training for a, a ministry uh, for Desert Stream Ministries. They mm-hmm. uh, they do a thing called Living Waters, which is like restoring um, relational integrity and se- and ha- offers sexual healing. It's like really awesome. Which like, is something, especially working in college ministry, I mean, this world needs that bad. Yeah, like just as essential as breathing air. Yeah. Like really is the truth of it. And yeah. I and so uh, it's a, it was a ministry started by, um, um, I want to say father, but it's Andrew Comiskey, and mm. he's uh, he's totally awesome. And so I just wanted to shout Doesn't him out. Doesn't he have out. a baseball stadium named after him? <laughs> I don't Is that know. not him? <laughs> I it would. The White Sox play there. It wouldn't surprise me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's just awesome. And so, if anybody is uh, listening who's involved with Living Waters, totally shout out to you. Whoop whoop. Here's to you, I am raising my cup of coffee to you and my cup of coffee speak. to you from <gasps> St. Drogo's Coffee Bar, Boulder, Colorado. Like us on Yelp. Uh, dude, are we yelping? You're, we are yelping the snot out of this place, dude. I just have to say the word Yelp. It just reminds me of like a dog that like Yelp. got got like got like hit or something. Yeah, it's yelping. Yeah, I don't know. That, hey, we didn't make up the website, man. We that's just true. give good positive feedback. Yes. So, so today we are. What, do you have anything to say? Because I'm just dominated this conversation. No, I'll dominate the reading. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You'll dominate no, no. later. Oh, You'll dominate later on. Oh, okay. Well. No, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to add to this. <laughs> This conversation. <laughs> well, no, but I, I'm I'm actually really excited to, <laughs> to uh, that you were able to give a shout out to Desert Streams Ministries Ministries and and uh, and Dean Greer, dude. Dean's totally awesome. What up, Dean? Whoop whoop, Dean. And uh, and uh, Deacon Hans Gunther from Germany. Oh, Hans Gunther. And uh, Deacon Hans Gunther was was like one of my favorite people on the planet. He would be mine too if I knew him. Yep. And all right, Angelo from Courage, give him a shout out too. I mean, heck, we'll just shout them all out. Shout it out. Whoop, whoop. We are in the 30 week Sunday, 32nd <laughs> week of Sunday Ordinary. Oh, my. 
Why don't I happened? take over now? Yeah. It's the 32nd Sunday of Ordinary Time. <laughs> Our first reading this week is coming from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 10 through 16. Story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Dude, that's awesome. I should probably <laughs> open the readings if I'm going to join you for this podcast. I can just do it. No, no, here. I, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And then, right, then our psalm is uh, that we're responding to yeah, is yeah. Psalm 146. Okay. Um, it's going to be seven. Tell me more. Eight to nine, nine to 10. And our response is one B. Very good. Oh, very, very good. Um, our response, you just said that. Our second reading is coming from the book of Hebrews, chapter nine, verses 24 through 28. I love that we've been in Hebrews the last few weeks. Yeah, dude, me too. As, Even during as, the feast, we were still in Hebrews last week, weren't we? During uh, the Feast of All Saints. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of unusual that the whole schema wouldn't. Shift, but we stayed in Hebrews. We stayed put. And no, um, we didn't. I'm totally wrong. It was from First John. Anyway, let's move on. Well, this is the thing: is that is that uh, speaking of Hebrews, uh, Saint Drogo's Coffee House is going to have its grand opening next week. Um, Thursday. What what is it? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Yeah, I believe so. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week, which is going to be the um um. Uh, let's see, eight, seven, six. I, I can't even remember the day numbers. Uh, the it is. <laughs> Yeah, this should it's not be, be this great. complicated. No, Let's it's going to be awesome. This. <laughs> Come next week. Come it, but seriously, though, if you guys are anywhere near Boulder, it's the 11th, 12th, and 13th. But if you guys are anywhere near Boulder, Colorado, swing by to Boulder, check out Drogo's. This is a great time. We've been open for a while, but this is the grand opening. So we'll have deals and specials and all sorts of cool activities and events going on. So really, come and check it out. If you haven't seen the write-up in the video of Father Peter, our own star Father Peter, oh. in the Denver Catholic, you should check that out, too. Yeah, on on the interwebs as well. Interwebs. So it's, it's Denver Catholic website, and it's fifteen twenty Euclid. How on earth did we get there from the readings? Hebrews, because oh, yes, Hebrews right, is coffee. Right, right. Okay, so <laughs> fifteen twenty Euclid Avenue in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> then um, we're going to take the gospel, or I should say, the liturgy takes the gospel yeah. today. Um, the common lectionary is yeah. noted to be a Mark chapter twelve verses thirty eight to forty four in the long form. Ooh, I'm excited about it. Dude, me too. I really like this one because it's it's cool. Dude, long robes. You go about in long robes once in a while. I do. I um. I actually it was funny. I read an uh, an article in Esquire about this guy. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, and and he wore a cassock. He says it's easy to put on the cassock. It's hard to wear the cassock. And mm. so I wore the cassock because I was like, I'm gonna do that. And of course. I got caught on a doorknob and ripped my cassock in half. Are you serious? That's <laughs> yeah. absurd. I was very angry. That's absolutely absurd. I took it as a, as a, as a sign wow. from the Lord. Of what? That I should not wear the cassock as much. That it may may not be the right time. All right. Fair enough. But I might wear it tomorrow. What the heck? What the heck? You'll probably rip it again. Yeah. Well, hey, man. All right. So here we are in the book of First Kings. So we're in, in First Kings. First Kings. Um... This, what do we what do we say to introduce First Kings? First Kings well, is one of I like to call it sort of the low light reel of the story of Israel. The low light. I just light? made that up as opposed to highlight. Oh, um, Kings First and Second Kings really it's it's stories it's a lot of stories of really really terrible kings and something <laughs> else, it is that's what the books are and it, it's which makes it kind of hard for people to get through these books. I'm doing a class this week, next week, and the following week on the books of Samuel and Kings, partially because they don't get enough press. They are fat. I mean, these books are fantastic. What Here's kind of what's going on. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a both Northern Southern kingdom. Remember there was a, there was a civil war at some point in Israel and the kingdom divides first and second Kings goes through. It kind of goes back and forth. 
showing how awful most of the kings were in both kingdoms. Here's what's going on, though. Imagine, you, you can read this, though, and you do get the sense that it's it's totally uh, slanted in terms of the negative. And it's kind of like, I gave this analogy in a, a class I taught a couple weeks ago. If you had um, a uh, a reality TV show, <laughs> seriously, if just, you had a reality... I just took my shoes off. Yeah, and, and... You, oh boy, howdy, you did. <laughs> if you had... Uh, and you got stuff all over your feet. No, I don't. You do. It's okay. It's just stuff from the shoe. <laughs> but if you had a reality TV show That's crew... disgusting. Okay, so imagine, Father Peter, I'm talking to you. You had a reality TV show crew living here at the rectory. Oh, with dear you Lord. For, for like a week, okay? Okay. And they were with you from like the moment you woke up till the moment you went to sleep, filming everything, right? Uh-huh. Then the show came out, and all the show was was all of your worst moments. That's what they compiled. Just every terrible moment of your day. And that like, actually, what about all the good stuff? That I sounds did? like the real world, actually. It, it kind of is. <laughs> That's what First and Second Kings are. It's totally slanted in terms of all the bad stuff the kings do. I'm sure there were some good things that the kings did. But you read through this and you're like, these are this is terrible. There's is there yeah. nothing good? And maybe there wasn't, but you do get the sense that surely there's some good things they did. You're not reading it here. Why? I think this is part of the pedagogy of how the scriptures work, specifically how the Old Testament works. Because one of the things that you'll find, if you were to search through um the uh the 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 annals of any um ancient civilization, right? If you were to read the stories of the kings of Babylon or the stories of the kings of, of Egypt or Assyria or Mesopotamia, right? Any of these things. And it would be all the amazing stuff that they did. You, you're going to try to actually divinize your kings and make Ev- them totally the the best possible light because they really do in the ancient world. They, like the king embodies the people. Not only that, but they are divinized. They are divine. They are considered God. So every decision they make is right. Every war they fight, they win. Every every move they make is just and righteous and, and perfect because they are, I mean, number one, they wrote the histories or they contracted out their histories to be written, right? Yep. But so literally any civilization that you study, all of their kings are perfect. Everything they do is good and right, right? And they're basically gods, except for Israel. And literally this is such an anomaly, especially in the ancient Near East, that Israel's stories of her kings are exactly the opposite. Mm. Why? Well, now that I need you to, this is I the need whole pedagogy to, of the I, Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, I need you to. Well, I but, mean, well, I, could, well, I could, I could, I could, I could give a speculation. You want, you want my speculation? Well, you said it actually. You actually alluded to the reason. Why do the other cultures make their kings look so great? Because they want to be known as great. Not just great, but divine. Divine. They wanted to be seen as divine. Why are the Israelite scriptures doing the opposite? Because they want God, they want to glorify God, not themselves. They want to show beyond the shadow of a doubt these guys are not divine. There is one God and one God alone, and it is not the king. Ooh. That's what the scriptures are trying to do. So, I mean, it's easy to read through the Bible and be like, this is just depressing, and everybody dies, and everyone's terrible, and or the Bible is justifying evil, or polygamy, or whatever people throw at us about the Bible. But that's to misread it. The Bible is highlighting literally every bad thing they do just to remind you they are not God, and they never will be God. Mm. Which is why when Jesus, the, the, the heir to the throne, literally, through the bloodline of David, shows up, he is God, and he is is the perfect king that the whole testament has been making you long for because you read through the old testament all the old testament is made to do is make you long for the new testament right that's what it does but it's so it's so distinct so that's why these stories are so ugly kind of 
So that's just a word on the, the pedagogy of how this works. Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Which which gets us into this this moment where <clears throat> I was asking you this before the podcast, oh, which yeah, I, yeah. I broke our rule. Like, yeah, well, I, I didn't know, answer. I know. I wasn't going to give in. I, but this is the thing is that Scott and I have a rule that we're not allowed to talk about the podcast before the podcast starts because no. we, we did that before and the podcasts were terrible. We're not going to tell you which ones they were. Did you just get grounds in All your grounds. mouth? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Bree even warned me. <laughs> this is not a statement about Drogo's Coffee Shop. <laughs> I yeah, purpose, purposely fully checked the last. Anyway, anyway, what's your question, Father Peter? So um, we don't discuss, and I uh, I asked you, like, why? Because we're, we're coming to this moment where we know the story very well. Elijah goes to the widow of Zarephath and says, hey, hook me up with some water and some cake. And she's like, um, I'm just gathering some sticks, and um, I've just got a little bit of flour and oil, and I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a loaf of bread, and we're gonna die. So for my, me and my child, for me and my child, and um, and uh, and so, but there's a drought, and I was like, man, why was the drought for King Aminadab or Ahab? Ahab, Ahab, dude, Ahab's Arabs, isn't that isn't that a band from the '60s? Arabs, Ahabs, or I don't think so. Yeah, I think I think it is Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> is that what we're talking? About? Did you just lay out Hogan's Heroes on me? Of course, me, dude? I did. Man, that felt really good inside. <laughs> that felt really good inside. <laughs> oh, what a weird podcast this is. <laughs> no, this is this is a huge question. So Ahab um, is our the king du jour right here. The, the evil <laughs> the evil king du jour. As we're going back and forth talking about the evil kings, we're in First Kings seventeen. We're in the northern kingdom, right? Okay. Northern Israel. So this is the the ten tribes who left Jerusalem, left the temple, founded their own liturgical system, their own capital city, ordained their own priests. It really kind of went off the deep end. I mean, the southern kings were bad, but these guys were really bad. Ahab kind of embodies the worst of them. Okay. And they they started worshiping all sorts of other gods. Now, the story of Elijah is the story basically of this one holy man who goes into a totally dark and corrupt culture and tries to bring some light. And and the story of Elijah is profound. It's where we get actually it's where we get Carmelite spirituality, which is which is, you know, Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul stuff. A lot of it is pretty pretty dark because Elijah had a pretty dark ministry. And he asked this question of God, am I the only one who gets this and who sees this? And God eventually reveals, no, there, there's more. But in the kind of heart of it, Elijah is called to go to this King Ahab, who's this this really rotten, um, he, yeah, so we have King Ahab. Um, he's the, the king in the north. He, terrible guy. Um, he's the husband of Jezebel. Remember Jezebel? Really rotten figure. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is funny as far as a name that's overused in a culture like yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that one. But but yeah, Jezebel had some uh, some stuff going on. Uh, by the way, there's a huge connection here to Elijah and John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist goes and speaks a word of correction to an evil king whose wife wants to kill him. Remember that. So Her- Herod, Herodias wants his head on a platter. Yeah, yeah. Really parallel to the story of Elijah speaking against King Ahab and his wife Jezebel wants to kill him. Oh, Huge parallel story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he foreshadows John the Baptist. But, but here's the thing. He's going to go speak a word against King Ahab. And what he does is goes and he predicts three years without rain. Which might not sound like like we live in Colorado. Colorado is pretty arid. We don't get a ton of rain, but but you know he's like okay, three years without rain. That sounds like a like a um, a, a Selma Hayek song or something. Is, is isn't it isn't it like three years without rain? Oh, I'm, I can't remember that song. Okay, but that's no okay. Idea. 
Um, so three years without rain, which for this culture would have been really, really huge. Why? Not just because it's a huge inconvenience, but because Baal, remember Baal? So B-A apostrophe A-L. Yeah, yeah. Baal was the god that they were worshiping. They had stopped worshiping the one true god. They had all turned to worshiping Baal, and Baal was known as a fertility god who controlled the rain. That was his job. Oh, which, and, which, by the way, I mean, to give you guys a perspective that London and Israel received the same inches of rain per year. Ye, technically. So, however. So, I mean, just imagine London it not raining for three years. Well, there's a catch to that. There's a caveat. Um, Baal, the god Baal was believed to have his home where? Do you remember where he was believed to live? Um, at the headwaters of the Jordan? No. On top of Mount Carmel. And if you picture if you picture your geography, so uh, if you lived in this particular region, right, you had these huge storms which would come west off the Medi- off. The, oh. You have these huge storm. Oh, you gave me the <laughs> saggy microphone today. <laughs> you have these huge storms that would come off, you know, east off the Mediterranean Sea. They'd slam in the coastland, uh-huh. uh, coastline, and there was a lot of them, but they'd often just sort of burst and crash right into the side of Mount Carmel which was super lush and fertile and everything else, but Mount Carmel would stop these systems from going much further to the east, right? Which is why Israel is so dry and and, um, desert-like, right? Because all the storms just sort of slam into Mount Carmel, and the weather systems stay there, right? They couldn't go past it. So Mount Carmel becomes this image of this great seat of power for the god Baal, who control? He was the god. He was the god everybody worshipped. So what does it mean for Elijah to say, there's not going to be rain for three years? Uh, what is he doing? Oh, he's challenging the the this Baal. Right. It's just like the ten plagues. Remember back in Egypt oh. when Moses does the ten or performs the ten plagues, their statements against those gods of Egypt, saying, "Look, they have no power. The Nile River doesn't have power. It's a pool of blood. the The cattle that you're worshiping, they're not powerful. Look, they're all dead. It's the same thing against the god Baal. He says he has no power. Our god has stripped it. Therefore, there'll be no rain." That's why there's that's why there's a drought for three years. It's because this is another plague taking place. Boom. Yeah, so that's what's going on. But in the midst I've, I've never heard that. It's pretty cool. I mean, even in this podcast, we've been doing this for three years now, and I, I like you've mentioned it before, but I didn't realize that it was like it's pretty unto cool. the plagues. That's really cool. But that's where sort of the the story of the widow of Zarephath is really profound because in the midst of this plague, uh, not, well, yeah, plague, in the midst of this drought, God is still at work helping his people. It's not It's not just, the, okay, God's ticked off. He's just punishing everybody. This woman is faithful. She asks for help. She helps Elijah, and she is rewarded for that. Yeah. Um, so what, what the story of the widow of Zarephath is showing is the utter generosity and total gift of herself of this woman and God's great, beautiful reward back to her for that faithfulness. Because mm. this woman has nothing. She's like, we're in a drought and everybody heard it's going to last for three years. This is bad news. I'm just going to make some cakes and die. Elijah's like, give me one. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> but she's like, okay, here you go. Because she recognizes, now we don't know anything about this woman except this. I don't know if she's a worshiper of Baal. I don't know if she's bought into the the culture's leanings or if she, I mean, here, here's the thing about the, the Catholic understanding of faith. We are judged on what has been revealed to us. This woman might not know the one true God, right? Right. She might not know the commandments. She might never have read Deuteronomy, but she responds to what God has revealed to her. What has God revealed? This prophet Elijah, who has embodied what God is doing. She recognizes it. 
doesn't have the fullness of the faith, but she recognizes this guy and she responds appropriately. She's a model of faith. She's she's like, um, who's the who's the the prostitute in Joshua? Uh, Rahab. Rahab. Yeah, same thing. She sees what God is doing and responds. So it's a beautiful statement of faith. She pours herself out. Well, and I, I also like, th- this is the thing is that in the symbols that she's actually engaging, which mm. is going to be um, flour and oil. Ooh. Like, see where you're going. Yeah, that that you you're you're actually you you're seeing both the Eucharist and the anointing of the Spirit. Yeah, and 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 good works like everything that like like oil is such a rich and beautiful image because I mean we even have Christ. Yeah, who is yeah. the word Christos mm-hmm. means anointed, anointed one, and yeah. so so like there, there's a, the, she's actually willing to give her anointing over to give her strength yeah. over like. That was meant for the family, but oh. actually expands out into the prophetic, which is an expansion of her family. I mean, really, like she is. Well, yeah, she she's making in a certain sense a covenant meal. She's covenanting herself. She is, and because of well, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Well, because of that, that the psalm is the response to that. Ooh. It is responsorial. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is this is what she's saying, right? Yes. The Lord, why? Why can she say that? Because the Lord keeps faith forever. Even mm. though the culture is dark, even though things are actually pretty grim, the Lord still keeps faith. He secures justice for the oppressed. He does give food to the hungry. He does set captives free. He does give sight to the blind. He does raise up, raise up those who are bowed down like this woman. These are actually, if you read Psalm 146, it's actually very similar to, to Isaiah 35. Remember, we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago when Jesus, yeah. when John the Baptist is in prison, he's like, are you the one who's to come or should we look for somebody else? Right. And he's like, look at what's happening. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, those who preach you know, to them are responding. This is, it's happening. We see inklings of it back in the Old Testament, though. This is how God works. This is what he does, particularly in the heart of a soul who pours out everything. And it's not like, I mean, we need to take note of this. We're not talking about a health and wealth gospel here. No. We're not talking about this This woman is given everything, and then she gets a huge house and a Cadillac for it. No, she has enough. But that's the blessing. God will sustain. And and to have the eyes to see, I mean, she's, never, she's not getting rich here off of this huge no. act of faith. She gives everything. What does she get back? She gets life. Right. She gets she gets to see the face of God. She gets to have insight into what God is doing in the world. She's the greatest gift of all. Yes. She doesn't get a huge house and a bunch of storehouses of food, right? No. You know what you know what I mean? Yeah. And she gets um she is lifted up, those who are bowed down. It's yeah. profound. So so I think Psalm, the Psalm is answering that in a real way. Dude, that's really the way of the wicked he thwarts, it says, right? He the fatherless and the widow he sustains. I mean, that's why liturgically this is put in here, because it's specifically about her. Yeah. And Elijah, because, I mean, here, here's the stranger. I mean, like, this dude, who, who knows who this dude is? She's like, she's like I'm just going to go die. I'm gathering some sticks, and I'm going to be done. Yeah. Which leads us into Hebrews, which, dude, I, I'm I, I'm really excited to hear, because... <laughs> I got the connection, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, without spending too much time on Hebrews, we're kind of following along where we've been reading it, Hebrews. It says... Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by hands, a copy of the true one, but but heaven itself. Then he might now appear before God in our behalf, that he might offer himself, not that he might offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters into the sanctuary each year with blood that's not his own. Um, he does it once for all. So Hebrews is talking all, remember what Hebrews is doing. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is a letter, uh, a word of exhortation is what it calls itself 
to presumably Jewish people, probably living in Jerusalem and Judea, yeah. who might be tempted to throw in the towel. Things are getting really hard. All of my fellow Jewish brethren, they're getting prepared to fight this war against Rome. Jesus told me I'm not allowed to fight. I'm supposed to love my enemies and forgive those who persecute me. Yes. And when I see wars and rumors of wars to run for the hills... Like, that's pretty freaky. And I'm told by the apostles that Jesus is my high priest, but I don't know what that means. I don't see him. I, I see Caiaphas over there, and he's saying all this stuff. Jesus is supposedly the temple, I guess, but I see that temple over there on the hill. You know what I mean? It, it's this moment that we all probably come to in faith of just, this is hard. I'm not sure I can do this. And so the author of Hebrews is laying out this grand vision, if you basically comparing and contrasting. If you saw, if you can see what Jesus is and what he has done and the kind of high priest he is, then you would never go back. Right. And so what this is saying is that when Jesus offered himself on the cross, he did enter into the sanctuary as a high priest, but not the sanctuary in that brick and mortar building that you see up on the hill on Zion, but into a sanctuary not made by hands. You know, this is a fascinating moment. It talks about Jesus as high priest going into the sanctuary. Yes. Do you know when Jesus in the Gospels goes into the Holy of Holies in the temple? When does he do that? He never does it in the scriptures. The, the only he t- never does it. I mean, like, this is the thing in my Catholic mind and my Catholic imagination. I'm like, when does he go into the Holy of Holies? Well, never does. Like, n- not in the uh, brick and mortar sense. The brick and mortar sense. Yes. But here's the thing, and this, this is where Exodus actually helps us out. You remember when they were building the tabernacle, which would then grow into the temple? Yes. What uh, I think I wish I could remember Boaz and uh, what is his name? They they were Boaz is in Ruth. Yeah, whatever. Me, man. Obed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the craftsmen. But when what when Moses is first given the vision for what they're to build, if you remember what happens, I think I want to say it's Exodus thirty two or something like that. I can't. Anyway, I can't remember the address. But what Moses is shown, he's he's basically drawn up into this vision. God says, "Here's the holy of holies." I want you guys to build something that looks like this. Well, this is the, this is the whole thing that when we get so intrigued with um, Exodus, we get intrigued with Daniel, we get intrigued intrigued with Ezekiel, we get intrigued with Revelation. Is because what we're we're, we're looking for is what is the heaven real, heavenly reality that we're called to? What does this temple that's not built by human hands look like? Yeah. What are we want to see? Not dimly as in a mirror, but face to face in the true sense of what is actually taking place. Like that's that is the desire of all human hearts. Yeah, and that's it. And what and what they frequently forget in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is in, that this, and in present age. And in present day. But but specifically this temple that they're looking at, this holy of holies, it's really not the real thing. Mm. It's a model. It's a blueprint of something else. Mm. We forgot that this heavenly Jerusalem, this temple building, this holy of holies, is a model, a, a temporary model of something that Moses was shown that exists in heaven for all of eternity. Mm. It looks like it, but yeah. this is where this isn't the real thing. I mean, it, it is real. You know what I mean? Yes. But there's something more. This is modeled after something greater. Jesus is entering into the greater one, the real one, in reality, into the temple itself as the high priest. And then he, in fact, is the temple, which the, we're mixing imagery a little bit. Well, this <laughs> is a little the, confusing. But. Well, this is the thing is that is that being built up into the body of Christ, he says, you are a temple built of living stones. Yep. and. We actually all have a place in the body, and the entrance point for us is the cross. It is actually entering into um, taking this because he he's saying that he what is he offering um, himself himself 
and to take away the sin of the world by his sacrifice. Yeah, his once-for-all sacrifice. His once-for-all sacrifice. And that's actually where, where when we come close to Christ, we give him our sin and attach it to his body. We actually let him take, like, that's actually the hardest thing that we can do. And the yeah. most important thing that we can do is actually give our sin to his body because he is bearing it and wants to take it to destroy it so that we can be built up. Yes. Because if we if we refuse to actually give him our sin, if we refuse to actually and we say, oh, no, if we get filled with shame, filled with all this stuff that's not actually no. like um, uh, ours to keep. He's yes. saying, no, like, give this to me. He's he's doing it in this way that is is meant for our souls to be bound together. We cannot experience the communion with him or the communion with each other that we're we're actually called to. Right. But it, we have to surrender the shame and surrender the sin and. And it's then what what where where do we get? And that's actually what Hebrews is trying to tell us. Right. We actually enter in with him. Yes. Into the sanctuary not made by human hands. Exactly. So what does this have to do with the gospel? Everything. Uh, okay, you ready for it? Now 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 we get the fun part. This is what I've been waiting for. Oh, I didn't know. I thought it, I thought it was gonna be Hebrews. That's the truth. It is. Oh. Here's the problem though. How do we connect the temple of Hebrews with the widow of Zarephath? Here's the connection. So widows and temples. This is our image. Um, the answer comes in Mark. So Mark, oh. Mark has this thing. Well, do you see where it's going? Oh yeah, I bet you don't. Oh baby, it's gonna I don't be know. cool. Okay. I hope this is cool. It was. It's cool in my head. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it will be. Mark has this thing that he does frequently called intercalation, or in other words, it, you can. It's often called the Mark and sandwich. Sandwich. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where he'll give two parallel stories, right? That will will follow the same formula. That'll kind of sandwich together something. There's a little mark in sandwich that's going on in today's readings that is usually missed. And I forget who taught me this. I think it might have been my friend Way or maybe Tom. But this is profound. So the, the gospel begins saying in the course of his teaching, Jesus said to the crowds, beware of the scribes who like to go along in long robes like Father Peter and accept the <laughs> blessings and the greetings in the marketplaces, the seats of honor in the synagogues, the places of honor at banquets. They devour the houses of widows. And as a pretext to recite lengthy prayers, they will receive a very severe condemnation. They are putting their emphasis on the wrong things. They're putting their em- these priests, these leaders, these religious figures. They're putting them, their emphasis on themselves. They're giving mm. little, right? Right. And they're 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 devouring widows like the widow of Zarephath. Oh yeah. Now here's the kicker. So having said this, he sat down opposite the the treasury, the temple treasury. So he's in the temple right now. That needs to be noted. He's in the temple precincts. He's within the outer courts, right? He's by the treasury. Yeah. And he observed how the crowd, and he's just talked about these religious leaders and their long robes and everything else. He talked about how the rich people put in large sums. And, and, there was this there, culturally. There was this thing when you went to the temple treasury. People loved to take these big coins and put them very loudly into the temple treasury to hear all the clanging that it would do. And it was this refrain, and it was it was written about that people loved to make a lot of noise when they gave their gifts to the temple treasury because the big coins made big noises, and then yeah. everybody knew you gave a lot. Look at you. Look how great you are. Yeah, which I mean that that's very human nature. Oh, of course it is. But but it's but it's really not the right way. It's not the emphasis. No. So okay. uh, there's a there's a counterpoint. Then a poor widow came, um, just like this poor maybe, widow. Maybe she, maybe she was from Zarephath. Maybe she was. She put in two small coins worth a few cents. 
calling his disciples, Jesus said to them, Amen, 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 I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of the other contributions to the treasury. They have all contributed out of their surplus wealth, but she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had. Her whole, do you know what it is in the Greek? No. This is cool. It's her whole bios. B-I-O-S is the word. Which means her whole biology, literally her whole life, her whole self. Or in computer terms, the <laughs> fundamental operating system. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, she gave her whole self. She gave her bios. Isn't, and, that, isn't that a beautiful way of thinking it? Yeah, she gave her life. Yes. So this Ooh. is beautiful. So she gives, she pour, which again, you see the connections to the first reading. Yes. She gives everything. The la, I'll give you this and then I'll go die. That's what essentially this woman is doing. Yes. What does that have to do with anything? What we have in this story is um, we have a widow we have a costly gift and we have a temple, okay? Okay. A widow who gives a costly gift to the temple. If you uh, were to fast forward two more chapters to chapter 14, something very similar happens. And in chapter 14, you get the story of the woman who um, washes Jesus' feet. Remember this? Yes. With the oil. We don't know who it is. Some people think it's Mary Magdalene. We're not sure. But remember, there's this woman in, in Mark 14 who... Um, just it's just before his passion. She comes in and she dumps all of this oil, this costly oil, this nard on his. It's his feet, right? Yes. Or is it just on his head? Feet. Is it on his feet? Not on his head. I think she it's pours his it feet. on. Yeah, uh, she pours it on Jesus. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and it says, what does it say? And Jesus, you know, Jesus is, is like, well, she's anointed me for burial. This is chapter fourteen, verses three through nine. Um, so here's another woman who gives something to Jesus. Now, it's, we're told in the scriptures that this oil she pours out on him is worth 300 days labor, which is about 300 denarii. What does that mean? I mean, we hear these numbers thrown around the Bible, 300 days labor. Think about almost a year's salary. And when, if you translate this into, into common terms, we're talking about all, 300 denarii was about $40,000, which change, you're like 300 denarii. I don't know what that means. 300 days labor. Almost a year's wage for a worker. So imagine somebody, and and you know the disciples, specifically Judas, is like, "What are you doing?" And you're like, "Well, oh, what a jerk! He only cares about money." But then imagine somebody came into the church and dumped out something that was worth forty thousand dollars, and you're like, "Oh, we could have done a lot with that." Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, wow, that's a lot." So why would this woman, who we don't know much about, why would this woman have something that was worth forty thousand dollars? Well, here, I mean, when I when I'm thinking about it, I mean, the the comment is, is you would not have let her done this if she if you knew what kind of woman she was, right? And so this costly scented oil mm-hmm. might have actually been really a, a tool of her profession, perhaps. Of, I don't know. I mean, like that's one part that that's, I think that's a real possibility, and maybe she, but but. That seems like a weird thing to buy if you were a prostitute. I'm, we can go buy some nard. <laughs> I think there's another reason. I don't know this for sure, but I think there's another reason that a woman like this, who's probably single, you know, whatever, whatever her profession is. Inheritance? Ah, uh, you're close. What would a young woman have? Why would a young woman have something of such big value? Dowry? Dowry. I think the only, the only logical reason she has something of this much of a value is that this is her dowry. If this woman is pouring out her dowry literally over Jesus, what is she doing? Wedding him. Yes. No, I don't know. I mean, talk she's, to me. She's giving her whole future, her whole life. This is her future. This her is her bios. security. Her bios. So what do we have? Mm. We have in chapter 12, 
a woman giving a costly gift of her whole self to the temple. Chapter 14, we have a woman giving a costly gift, pouring it out on Jesus, who is the new temple. Here's the kicker. In chapter 12, once this widow Mm -hmm. pours out her costly gift on the temple, in the very next chapter, Jesus predicts the temple's destruction. He says this temple will be ripped down. After the woman pours out her oil, her dowry, her life on Jesus, the very next chapter, Jesus is destroyed. So we have a widow who pours out herself on the temple, temple's destroyed in the next chapter. We have a woman who pours out herself on Jesus, the next chapter, Jesus is destroyed. Two temples have been given two costly gifts. Two temples are going to be destroyed. Only one temple is going to come back. Whoa. The the imagery that Mark is setting you up for Man. is profound. You have a widow who's these, these poor women giving themselves... The question is, what are you pouring yourself out to? The widow, of course, is not wrong to be pouring her life out into the temple. No. But this woman who pours out the the oil on Jesus, she stepped up the game a little bit. It's not just a woman giving something to God's prophet like Elijah. It's not just someone giving to God's temple, to his people like the temple. It's this woman saying, okay, now the fullness of time has come. The fullness of the temple, the reality, the prophet, priest, king, I'm giving everything to him. All of it is is coming together in what this woman does in chapter 14, which is, I think, what all of this is leading to. Widows and temples, baby. Widows and temples. <laughs> <laughs> does that make sense? That's the connection uh, I came up with. Dude, that is like crystal clear and cool, clean water that is just <laughs> washing over my soul in the gloriousness. What it's inspiring me to do is just is to ask th- th- that, that precise question. What am I pouring myself mm. out to? Yeah. Am I pouring myself out to the one who can, like, and, and what am I pouring out? Like, cause, cause this, what's your nard? What's your nard? <laughs> Do you crazy, man? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like what, what is the costliness? And like, I mean, I think that that's where stewardship actually speaks something. Time, talent, and treasure. Yeah. Like we have all three of those things and are we pouring them out? And, and like, I don't know. It's really exciting when you pour yourself out for Christ. And, and maybe more importantly, what are we holding back? Hmm. Hmm. And, but the Lord Jesus, this is actually where we can come back into Hebrews where, mm. where I, I like, am I pouring out all the stuff that is, is good inside of me and yeah. with holding and saying, no, the Lord actually can't take the bad stuff. Oh, oh, interesting. Um, Ooh, you, I like that. Because Jesus is the one who's going to take everything and everything. to destroy it and raise it up. And the actually, good and the bad, all of it. And help us to enter into the true sanctuary not made by hands. Oh, that's good. And that's actually where you and I, my friend, and that's actually, I'll tell you what, living waters, that's that's exactly it. It's mm. like it's like if, you, if you're willing to pour out your shame and to, to Jesus, to his, mm. to him, he's going to actually help you to enter into the true sanctuary, which is built right here. Yes. Which is actually why I think a lot of people like the lanky guys yeah. and the word on the hill is because the truth is, is that we want you to experience some portion of the living temple of God. Absolutely. Built up and taste ten taste and have the, a little bit of a telescope to be able to see what is yes. actually happening in this heavenly sanctuary, which is our destiny, which is this moment of of how awesome is Mark. I always know that I like Mark. Mark, like, man. Mark, he is so precise. He's a good He's, one. He just, he knows how to do it. Thanks you gotta for opening it You got to dig for it, up. it, though. You do. You, That's you, the beauty of you Mark. You can't be lazy. It's short, but good. Mm. Just like... 
uh, my all of my friends that are short <laughs> and so good. It's the opposite like of your Sarah today. S- Sarah Tran. She's, oh, Sarah she's, T. Tran. Sarah T. Tran. She's short and good. All right, you guys. You guys are short and good. Um, this podcast is medium-sized and good. <laughs> we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Um, find us on Facebook. Come on down to Boulder next week and visit Drogo's Coffee Shop. You could even meet Scott. And Father Peter. Yeah. So we'll see you then. Peace. Bye.